Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick, and joining me today is our medical director, Rob Dixon. Good afternoon, Casey. Today, we're going to pick up on the podcast where we left off with COPD Part 1. And in the COPD Part 1 episode, we really hammered home the basics of COPD pathophysiology, COPD treatment, especially focused you know, on the EMS setting. But we're going to transition today to really what's been the number one most asked clinical question that I've gotten walking the hallways here since I started at MCHD, and that is, how do we tell the difference between COPD and CHF? And really, from an EMS setting, from an ED setting, this can be a hard, if not impossible, question to answer. Before we talk about COPD and differential COPD, you're asking yourself the same question out there. Go back and listen to our two CHF podcasts. We need a foundational knowledge of both, you know, if we're going to create a good good differential and, and pick one or the other. But again, the Venn diagram of COPD patients and CHF patients has a ton of overlap. You can't have chronic heart disease without effects on your lung. You can't have chronic lung disease without effects on the cardiac system. Um, COPD patients are five times more likely to develop CHF as opposed to non-COPD patients. A third of patients with CHF will have COPD. So oftentimes patients can have shortness of breath from components of volume overload and components of bronchoconstriction. And we all know that our population is getting older. You can't watch the news or, you know, read the newspaper and not see some article talking about the aging population in America. So these diseases, both of them, are going to become harder and harder to uh, differentiate between more and more likely for us to see. So as always, a picture is worth a thousand words. I think a case is worth a thousand words when we're, when we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, clinical education. So Dr. Dixon's going to get us started with the case, kind of lead us off and, right. and talk about this a little further. Yes, sir. Yeah, it'll be clear as mud, I'm sure. So 68-year-old female, cough and shortness of breath for one week. It's much worse tonight when she calls. On her examination, the patient's morbidly obese. She has decreased breath sounds bilaterally. 2-plus edema on her lower extremities. Um, she's unsure of her past medical history. Um, poor diet, non-compliant. She is a current smoker. Uh, her medications are Lasix, Lisinopril, Aspirin, Atrovent, and Albuterol. Not much help there, doctor. Heart rate, maybe that's going to help us. We've got some bottles. Heart rate 110, blood pressure 190 over 70, temp 99, respiratory rate 26, and satting 88% on room air. So as you can tell by this example, the exam is not terribly helpful. You can't hear that much. The history can be consistent with both, right, with COPD and with CHF. So what do we do next with this, Casey? Well, I mean, I think you said it best. It's really clear as mud at this point. Hoping you can get some history from the patient. Oftentimes, as we know, our patients don't have their complete medical history in front of them on a nicely organized collated uh, printout for us. Our meds, you try to be a med list detective and look and see based on the meds in the plastic Walmart bag what, what the patient's disease process is and you see Lasix, oh yeah, they're CHF. And then you see her albuterol and her atrovent right beside it and it could be both, right? 
So I, I really feel like as, you know, you know, from the ED practice standpoint, that treating both is, is not against the law. You know, NEBS and steroids may be needed in this patient. Uh, patient's hypertensive, tachycardic. Maybe this is an acute pulmonary edema state. Nitrates may be indicated. And you've got a respiratory rate of 26 and room air sats of 88. So I think you clearly in the moderate to severe respiratory distress range, just based on your vitals, I assume the patient doesn't look great if she's breathing 26 times a minute with sats in the, in the 80s. So non-invasive is definitely on the uh, four front or would be on the forefront of my thoughts without looking at the patient. You know, the textbook in the exam world often differ from what we see in clinical practice. This patient is not one that ends up on the test, right? This patient is one we see in reality. When we test for COPD and CHF, when we read the textbook chapters, these are very clearly delineated. And I think it's important to know that so that we can answer those questions correctly. COPD patients, wheezers, thin, barrel-chested, often for the pink puffer, delineation of COPD, as opposed to the chronic bronchitis patient, long-time smoker, chronic sputum production, often cyanotic, as opposed to the CHF patient with rowels, pedal edema, pink frothy sputum. Have you, I'm going to ask you, put you on the spot here. How many pink frothy sputums do you see in your clinic, clinical practice? A total amount of zero, doctor. Yeah. I, it, it's it's kind of like that uh, bright cherry red lips on CO poisoning, right? Uh, I've never seen it, actually. But for the test takers the out test there, taker, for those of you, those are the correct answers. For those of for you that are, that are that are in the world of test taking, no matter what we, cr- credentialing, right? So no matter what point of credentialing you're at, when you see pink frothy sputum, I think you're fair to go straight for <laughs> the CHF bubble, and obviously look for COPD history and or CHF history. But if we go back to our first case, lisinopril, Lasix, probably CHF, albuterol, atrovent, probably COPD. Uh, not terribly helpful. So where do we start with these patients? Where's the where's the best place sort of try to clear the mud, so to speak, and always go back to a full differential diagnosis. When we have a patient that's short of breath, that's what this lady called for. Start there. Start with the with the objective. Get the subjective out of the way. We know she called with shortness of breath. So what's your differential? Well, we've already talked about COPD and CHF. If your differential is two disease processes long, you're, you better be, you better be right every time. What else can we be dealing with here? It could be pneumonia, pneumothorax, could be pulmonary embolus, could be acute MI that's causing the CHF and or patient, this patient's hypertensive, but if they were hypotensive, you know, acute MI, CHF, cardiogenic shock, and then non-respiratory causes of apparent shortness of breath. Things like metabolic acidosis, DKA, metabolic acidosis from sepsis with fever. And if we start with that differential every time, we can narrow it down to maybe CHF, maybe COPD, but a lot of these things can really be, uh, like you said when we were prepping the podcast, can be chameleons. So let's run through a few more cases and sort of try to reiterate that point. Right. So next case, 70-year-old male with COPD history. He calls for shortness of breath that worsened tonight. Heart rate is 125. His blood pressure is 100 on 40. Sats uh, low 80s on room air. Respiratory rate of 24 and his temp is 99.9. Uh, he reports no fever, no increased sputum. Uh, he's having some slight pleuritic chest pain. His EKG you astutely get just shows a sinus tachycardia in the 120 range. Uh, so you start NEBS and steroids with BiPAP and you roll out. And your student writers, you enter the hospital bay, says, gosh, doesn't his leg look odd? It's kind of swollen. Thank you, student writer, for your precise ED presentation. What is this? Likely PE. Right, so we run through that differential. What's the thing that makes the most sense with it? Tachycardic, borderline blood pressure, hypoxic, tachypnic, 
pleuritic chest pain, and a big swollen leg. Now, if you don't run that differential, be very easy to start with 70-year-old male with COPD. He calls for shortness of breath. You know, we're closing up the flu season here in, in uh, southeast Texas right now. A lot of viral upper, upper respiratory illness, a lot of COPD exacerbations. It'd be really easy to close that one out and say, here's your NEBS and steroids. Let's, let's roll on. And you're Thankfully, your student rider took a look at the patient's leg and said, hey, we got a big swollen red leg. So that's case two. Let's hit case three. Case three is a 70-year-old male with COPD. He calls with shortness of breath that worsened to not. His heart rate's 125. His blood pressure is 100 over 40. Sats are 80%. And the temp's 99.9. And if you're listening closely at all and you've not fallen asleep here, it sounds a lot like case two, correct? But you run your differential. COPD, CHF, pneumonia, pneumothorax, PE non-respiratory causes, and you ask the patient's family what kind of symptoms he's been having along with the shortness of breath. And they say, he's been coughing some more junk up, and really he's confused, and he's not himself. And you start to roll out to the ambulance to load, you repeat a blood pressure, you look up, it's 80 over 40. So now you've got an altered patient who's hypoxic and tachypneic and hypotensive. So does this patient need NEBS and steroids for his COPD exacerbation, or does he need a sepsis assessment? Calculate his QSOFA score that we use here at MCHD, He's a three. So that patient's gone from a COPD exacerbation, if we close prematurely, to now a patient that needs fluids, pressors, antibiotics, wants to get to the hospital, probably a pneumonia with that. And again, just a couple more history questions following those vital signs. Very similar initial presentation to the PE in case two, but in case three, we're dealing with a pneumonia. I, I think that's a great example of how to tease that out of the history. Let's look at another case and see if you guys can kind of tease out something in the history of the exam to point us down a diagnostic pathway in case four. Case four is a seven-year-old male with COPD. He calls for shortness of breath tonight, and surprisingly, he's got these same vital signs as case number two and three. Heart rate is 125, blood pressure is 100 on 40, sats are 80s in room air, respiratory rate's 24, his temperature is 999. He reports no fever or increased sputum. His slight chest pain, his EKG is sinus tack. You start NEBS and steroids with BiPAP, you roll out. It sounds very familiar, doesn't it? But after placing him on BiPAP, his heart rate increases, his respiratory rate increases, he looks much more distressed, and we have to follow the podcast law, don't we, doctor? Can you remind us of the podcast law? I've lost track of the podcast law numbers, so we're not going to number it, but the podcast law in COPD Part 2 is if your treatment does not yield expected results, you must widen your differential. So if we give NEBS and steroids, we put the patient on BiPAP, we're saying this is a COPD exacerbation. It sure looks that way. It's not unreasonable to think that. But if you put somebody with COPD on NEBS, steroids, and BiPAP, what should happen? They should get better somewhat. They may not resolve, but they shouldn't tank. If they tank and start circling the drain, and their respiratory rate goes from the low 20s to the upper 30s, their pressure tanks, their mental status tanks, what do you have to do? You've got to widen your net. And if we widen our net back out and we run back down the list of shortness of breath differential uh, players, we've got COPD and CHF. We talked about those. We've got pneumonia. We had that in case 
three. We've got PE. We had that in case two. We've got QMI causing CHF. We got our EKG though. We were smart and included that one. And his EKG was just sinus tack. We've got non-respiratory causes, metabolic acidosis. He's not a diabetic. There's no, you know, sugar's 110. And there's no, there's no fever. You ask about sputum. There's no sputum. Which one did we leave off the list though? Pneumothorax, right? We put him on positive pressure and immediately he has a change. What do we have to do? We have to back up, go back, and reassess, right? That, so you're going to reassess his lung sounds, and what do you hear? Thankfully, you've got the astute student, the astute student rider with you again on this call. Razor sharp, grabs the stethoscope, no breath sounds on the left. What do we do next? Thoracostomy needle. So to sum up those three cases, and obviously the vital signs were the same, the patient very similar in each of the three presentations, and as an exercise to just remind you that these patients can be very similar as far as, you know, you're going on a shortness of breath call. Vital signs can be very, very similar. We've got to run the full dyspnea differential with every patient that's short of breath. The things that can kill you with shortness of breath. And if you'll notice, there was no anxiety on this list because anxiety does not kill anyone. And it, MCHD, that's... It gives us both chest pain. A, a, akin to a curse word. So COPD, CHF, pneumonia, pneumothorax, PE, MI, and non-respiratory metabolic causes, i.e. DKA, sepsis. Run that differential every time, and that will prevent you from, I mentioned it earlier, concept in cognitive error. One of, one of the reasons why we make mistakes is because we do what's called premature closure. In other words, you get a COPD patient with shortness of breath, and you prematurely decide it's COPD, and you don't consider other life-threatening diagnoses. Don't anchor on COPD. Failure to consider other diagnosis is one of the main problems in many cases that are litigated. And we don't, I don't practice to prevent myself from being litigated against. The bottom line is, is if somebody's suing me, it's because there's been harm, right? If somebody's suing us, it's because we've hurt someone. So if we provide good quality, thorough medical care, we won't ever be in that, in that seat. And one of the ways to do that is to always keep your differential broad, especially, especially, especially if your treatment doesn't yield expected results. I couldn't agree more. You're going down a pathway. Everything you for treating that you think should be working is not working. You have to back up down that pathway and take another look and always, always, always consider that differential as Dr. Patrick was saying. And also to talk about like non-anchoring and keeping a wide differential, don't forget that EKG every time. COPDers have MIs. COPDers have MIs that precipitate cardiogenic shock. COPDers have atrial tachycardias, sometimes AFib with RVR, sometimes multifocal atrial tachycardia. So to talk about multifocal atrial tachycardia just for a second, remember this is a problem of the underlying disease process, not a novel arrhythmia of its own. So you're going to see a heart rate greater than 100, greater than three P-wave morphologies in a single lead, and it's kind of between PACs and AFib and a flutter. Remember, the therapy for, of choice for this is not rate control, it's not electricity, it's not amiodarone, it's to treat the underlying problem. So it's aggressive nebulized therapy, it's oxygen, non-invasive uh, respiratory support, and steroids. So I couldn't say that more. Many times you have to figure out what is the underlying problem. It's not the underlying arrhythmia that's the problem. It's the underlying disease. Yeah, and I, just to be, uh, to reiterate and to be 100% clear, it's the underlying pulmonary disease, right? Multifocal atrial tachycardia is a result of chronic pulmonary disease. So when we see that, 
it's important not because we change our treatment, it's because we're confident in what our treatment should be. Our treatment doesn't need to be combined rate rhythm control and bronchodilators and steroids and non-invasive. When we see those bizarre P-ways, you know, a big one, a little one, a narrow one, a wide one, and we say, okay, we're above 100, we've got all these weird P-wave morphologies, we've got a COPD patient, this patient with a heart rate of 120 that looks kind of weird isn't an AFib RVR, right? It's a multifocal atrial tachycardia. Well, now we're not going to do anything different, but that's important because that patient doesn't need amio, right? Amio could potentially be harmful in those patients. Electricity, rate control, you know, you got a borderline blood pressure and you give somebody like that diltiazem on top of a COPD exacerbation, that's not going to be helpful at all. And in the converse, it could actually be harmful. So that's a good spot for us to wrap up. Hopefully those cases help you at least formulate a framework, right? There's always going to be a scenario you can bring me every single day of the week and present the patient to me and say, what do you think it is, COPD or CHF? And I'll just shrug my shoulders and say, I don't know. Because I see patients every day in my practice where I may give a little neb and treat a little CHF and look at the x-ray for pulmonary edema and keep listening to see if the wheezes resolve. Because sometimes it's really tough to tell. And when you've got the patient for a 20 or 30 minute call, you've got even less time than I do in my 90 minute, two hour, two and a half hour ED stay. So they go together, CHF and COPD. Patients can have both. Our population's getting older. Don't forget your killer shortness of breath differential. COPD, CHF, pneumothorax, pneumonia, PE, acute MI, and then non-respiratory causes, the main ones, metabolic acidosis and DKA, fever and sepsis and pneumonia. Get your EKG, get your EKG, get your EKG every time. You know, don't anchor on a primary pulmonary cause. Uh, cardiac problems, cardiac decompensation can definitely cause wheezing, can definitely cause respiratory distress. Don't forget your EKG. And finally, don't anchor on COPD just because that's what the patient has called for the last 10 times. Because that patient that's called for COPD the last 10 times on call 11 could easily have a pneumothorax. And if you don't get your stethoscope out and you don't listen, you don't think about breath sounds, you don't think about those six or seven killer shortness of breath differentials, you're, you're not going to catch it. If you're treating that patient for COPD, you put them on BiPAP and they flail and they fail. Widen that differential out. Listen again. Reassess. Just like the patient in the, in the case vignette got put on non-invasive positive pressure and really circled the drain. That's because that positive pressure exacerbated the pneumothorax. And finally, multifocal atrial tachycardia or MAT, greater than 100, multiple P-wave morphologies, not a primary cardiac arrhythmia. This is a result of chronic pulmonary disease and needs the chronic underlying pulmonary disease treated appropriately. And that wraps us up for the second episode of COPD. Uh, hopefully you pair these two together and it gives you a, a better foundation of how to approach these patients and how to create a differential. As always, if you have questions or uh, ideas for the podcast, please email us at the podcast email. Thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you again soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.